Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Today, today we have a special treat for you. One of our big guns, somebody who's on our teaching team, who's been in our church since the very beginning, uh, Ian Longton. I just think the, the world of the Longtons. Come on now. There's this very simple verse in the Bible that says, you'll know them by their fruit. And if you have been around Ian and his family, they got fruit. He's a great, a great father, a great husband. He's a great teacher. He's just a great human. And if you're around Ian, you're going to be stirred up to live a better life because his life points to the one who gives you a better life. And so I'm just so thankful for Ian. Uh, Ian is uh, born and raised out of Martinez. Come on now, shout out. So not only has he been at our church since the beginning, he's been the East Bay in the beginning. You know what I'm saying? God planted him here. Can you give it up for my friend, one of the greatest humans ever, Ian Longton? Come on. Well, good morning, 10 a.m. You did make it. It was a rough morning, I'm sure, but you made it. And uh, I am, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be here. I'm blessed to be able to share with you this morning. Love Mission Church. 10 a.m. is my service, so we're, we're, these are my people. But um, it's a super blessing. It's a double blessing when Martinez gets a shout-out on a Sunday morning. Yeah, so I'll take, I'll take that. That's from the Lord. I'm, I'm grateful for that. 2012, 2012, I went on this, I went on a fishing trip. So my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, and another friend of ours, um, we went on this fishing trip to Alaska. And uh, is probably the greatest fishing experience of my life. I'll just say that on the, on the onset. Just the greatest ever. Um, so many great memories from that trip. But um, every, when I was getting ready to go, so many people would, would come to me and they would say, oh yeah, Alaska's just so big. And I'm like, well, what do you mean it's big? Like, of course it's big, but like California's big. And how do you experience the bigness of a place, a different place, any more than you would experience the bigness of the place that you're in? Like, how does that, how does that make any sense, right, that it's big? Well, so we, we flew from here to Seattle, and then from Seattle we flew to Anchorage. Um, and then from Anchorage we took a plane that was probably, I mean, it probably only fit like, I don't know, 20 or 30 people. A smaller plane didn't, and it only flew at like 12 to 15,000 feet, Right. So when you're flying at a lower elevation, I don't know if you've had this experience, you get a different perspective on things, right? I got to sit in the window seat, and, and I'm sitting in this, and I'm, I'm just kind of looking out, and, and we're just going across the, 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 the mountains and the rivers and all these crazy things, and all of a sudden you start to get the picture, you start to get the idea, you get a little bit of the context of just how big it actually is, right? And then the, one of the most fun things for me in the whole trip was every day we were staying at this lodge on a river, but we would take a float plane. You know what that is? You like land and take off from the water. So much fun. Uh, we would take this little float plane and we would only fly at 500 feet. So even then you got a different perspective, right? Of just like flying over bays and, and endless sort of seemingly endless tundras. And you get to, you really get a context. You really sort of get the vision of how big and vast Alaska actually is. Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to kind of take a 12,000 foot view of Jesus calling his disciples, and what I want to do is I want to take a view on, on what he called his disciples um, to, what he invited them to, and get a sense of how big this calling actually was. 
So we're going to kind of camp out in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to, we're going to spend a lot of time with chapter 4, verse 19. Um, but I'm going to read that verse, that whole context there. And then we're going to zoom out to a couple of other uh, moments, going to fast forward to a couple of other moments in the life of Jesus and his disciples, just to get a sense of how big this calling really was. So starting with Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so again, we're going to look at this text. We're going to look at what Jesus invites them to. We're going to zoom out and look at a couple other moments in the life of the disciples. Um, But we're going to focus really on three points this morning. We're going to talk about being called to a person, being called to a process, and being called to a purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this place. Thank you for those who you've gathered here this morning, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the invitation to follow you. We thank you for the gift that it is to know you and to be known by you, God. And we pray that you would work your will in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing is that we are called to a person. Jesus says, come follow me. He invites the disciples to himself. And this isn't really as weird as you might think it is. Like if you went downtown Walnut Creek this, this afternoon and you just wandered up to some random strangers and you said, hey, come, follow me. Right, like that would, that's a little bit weird, right? Like that, and you know, you'd probably get laughed at or maybe even arrested depending on the group that you, you approached. Um, but, but it's not as weird as you think it is. See, there's a, there's a historical context to this whole thing, right? I mean, part of it is that um, Jesus probably had had some interactions already with these guys. We know that from the book of John. So there was probably some exposure that these guys would have had to who Jesus was and what he was up to and what he was, what he was doing, what he was talking about. But part of it is that there's an invitation here to a thing called discipleship that has its roots in the broader culture of the first century world. So this, this wasn't new to Jesus. This wasn't new to the, to the gospel or to Christianity, um, other, other religious leaders, other Jews would call people to discipleship. Um, even philosophers would potentially call people to discipleship. And really what it was, what it meant, is it could kind of be like we would see like maybe an apprenticeship or kind of like a mentorship, um, but with more of a religious or philosophical or educational angle. It was really just these people attaching themselves to these leaders to learn from them and more or less emulate their life, try to be like them, right? And so as odd as it might seem that Jesus just walks up to these guys and calls them out of their fishing boats, there would have been a historical context to all this, and they would have understood what it was that he was asking them to do. But what I want you to know this morning is that this invitation doesn't doesn't just stop there. Jesus, yes, called them to, the, to, to, to be disciples. This is the calling of the first disciples, but hear me out, this is not the calling of the last disciples, if that makes sense, right? Like, we are still called to Jesus. We are still called to be with him. And I want to I make, make this really clear. This is first and foremost, we are called to Jesus, 
right? If you're here this morning and you think like, what am I being asked to consider here? Am I, am I being invited to a religion? No, you're not, right? Like Jesus isn't calling you to religion. He's not calling you to a particular brand of Christianity. He's not, he's not calling you to like, you know, sometimes we think we're being asked to like dress a certain way and talk a certain way and vote a certain way. That's not what Jesus is inviting you to. Jesus is first and foremost calling you to himself. He's inviting you to understand who he is and what it is that he's done for you and what it means to have life in his name. It's not religion or any other thing. It's just him. And it doesn't matter where you stand. I mean, if you're here this morning... You know, and you, maybe you just kind of, maybe you just showed up or you got invited or maybe even you just got dragged to church and you're feeling like you're a little tired this morning, but you got dragged into church. Like, here's what I want you to know. Jesus is asking you to consider him. Jesus is, is inviting you to understand him. Jesus is calling you to himself. And I really believe this. I, I believe I can speak confidently about what we do here at Mission Church, though I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not the senior pastor. I'm not on the leadership team. But, but what I do believe is that Mission Church exists to extend that invitation to the world. That our only goal here at this church is to point people to Jesus and say, consider him. So it doesn't matter where you stand. But here's the other thing is, is sometimes we've been in church for a while. Right? Like sometimes we've been around for a little bit. We've been in church. Maybe we grew up in church or we've been in church for a while. And sometimes in that process, we kind of wander off a little bit from the person of Jesus. We might even still be doing church. We might still be keeping a seat warm on Sunday morning, but maybe we have not been actually with Jesus. And so it doesn't matter where you stand this morning, but the reality is, is that Christ is calling us to himself. And the thing about this, the thing that I find interesting, I almost named my first point this, but I, I, I realized it wasn't really biblically accurate, so I decided to change it. Um, but, but discipleship has a position. And that's what we see in this text, is that discipleship has a position. Um, some of the translations that we use, see, there's these two Greek words for come follow. In the original Greek, there's two separate words. Some of the translations, you know, for better or for worse, they sort of summarize that with just one word, and they just call it follow. Um, that's fine, but there are two Greek words. And, and the word for come literally means come to me. It's like come here, and there's a sense of immediacy. It's like come here, come now, come be with me. And the word follow is also positional. It means come be right behind me. Come be where you can follow me. Come be where you can learn from me. And so when Jesus is inviting the disciples to himself, when Jesus is inviting you to himself, he's saying, come be with me, but be just behind me so that you can follow me, you can learn from me, and I can be in the lead. Because discipleship has a position, and the position is to be with him, but just behind him. The thing is, though, is sometimes we do wander away, right? Like, like sometimes we, we find ourselves being attracted to things in this world, and, and we wander sometimes even into sin, and we sort of find ourselves kind of wandering off into something else, and, and then, then we look back, and, and we're like, oh, wait, I didn't realize Jesus wasn't coming with me into this sin. I, don't, I didn't realize that Jesus wasn't coming with me into this relationship or into this dealing, whatever it is. I, I, I didn't realize that I was on my own now, and God is faithful. Don't get me wrong. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forsake you, but he's going to be over here 
waiting for you while you get done doing whatever it is you're over there and finally come back to him. The reality is, is that we can wander. The reality is that we can find ourselves in places that Jesus didn't ask us to go. And sometimes it's not even sinful, right? Like sometimes it's not even morally wrong. Like sometimes we just find ourselves down the road. And I'll just say this, I'm guilty of this, especially in things that I've done in ministry. Like, like sometimes I've got a great idea. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going over here. And then I kind of find myself down the road a little bit. And I'm like, wait a second, Jesus, you're not, oh, you didn't come with me? Okay. And then I'm like, Lord, but would you still bless this? And he's like, I didn't ask you. I didn't ask you to go down that road. I'm like, but Lord, would you still just like be with me? And he's like, I didn't ask you to do that, right? So any of us can be guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. But the reality is, is that Jesus has called us to himself. And that calling has a position to be with him, but just behind him. So we're called to a person And second, we are called to a process. Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I really want to kind of of focus on that phrase, I will make you. That word make in the Greek, it's it's an action word. It's an active and intentional word. It literally means to produce or construct or to be the author of or to be the cause of. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to do something very active and intentional in your life. I'm going to make you into something. It's a very active process. When we come follow Jesus, if we do come and get with him and be just behind him, Jesus is going to make us into something that we otherwise would not have been. Jesus is going to transform our lives. One of the words that we use sometimes for this is sanctification. God is going to change us. Which, let's be honest, like we love the whole idea that Jesus died for our sins, we're going to heaven, right, we're saved and all that, we love that. But sometimes we don't necessarily want Jesus to change us. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we're like, yeah, like Jesus, I really love the idea of having fire insurance, I don't want to go to hell, you know what I mean? I want to be in, he- I want to be in paradise, you know what I mean? But, but I really am very comfortable in what I'm doing right now and I don't really want you to mess with that at all, right? But that's the, the problem is that's not what Jesus is inviting you to. The problem is that Jesus is asking you to come be with him so that he can do something in your life that has a greater and even an an eternal significance. So here's what I want to zoom out though. Here's what I want to kind of zoom out and kind of fast forward in the story of Jesus and his disciples. I I want to zoom out and go, we're going to go past Jesus being arrested, dying on the cross, rising from the grave, um, even in... uh, going up into heaven, even past the day of Pentecost, past Peter, you know, preaching to the 3,000, the whole bit, and we find ourselves in kind of Acts chapter 3, chapter 4. Um, and, and by the way, like, we read all these stories in church. If you haven't read those stories, you know, you, you should read them, by the way. But, but we read all these stories, and we talk about them all the time. I don't think we realize sometimes how dramatic all of these events actually were and how, they, how dramatic they would have been for these guys as they go through this time. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. Right? I mean, it's just nuts to think about all the things that they do. So they've gone through all of that. And now here's, here's the same disciples. That's what's crazy. When we get into the book of Acts and we're going to look at chapter 4, it's the same guys that Jesus calls in Matthew chapter 4. It's the same guys. So we're going to look at Peter and John, right? And so Peter and John, they find themselves coming into Jerusalem, and there's this guy who's lame. They heal this guy. And then... Peter ends up preaching this message to all these people, right? Stirs up all this stuff. People are getting saved. And the religious leaders of the time, the Sanhedrin, which are like the Jewish ruling elders, they get upset about this, 
right? So they're all, they're all stirred up about it. So they call Peter and John to stand before them. Peter ends up preaching a message to them where he, A, accuses them of being responsible for Jesus' death. It's not controversial at all. And then B, <laughs> preaches to them and lets them know that there is no, one, no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. So this is all very dramatic. And we pick this up in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw, so they being the Jewish elders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I mean, that's crazy. All this stuff, right? And what they see is, oh my gosh, these men have been with Jesus. See, there was this, there, there's a set of Jewish expectations. Like if you were going to be a person of any sort of religious significance, if you were going to be a leader or anything like that, um, you would have had to have had some sort of education. The Jews actually had some pretty interesting and, and really some rather brilliant, it included the discipleship process we discussed earlier, but it, really these kind of brilliant educational processes that you could be a part of if you had the, the means to do so. And so it was sort of understood or expected that you were going to be a part of that if you were going to be anywhere near um, being a leader, or again, a person of any uh, religious or spiritual significance. And, and, and they had all these different schools, and you would have had to attend like one of those schools, or you, or you might have had to have been attached to a particular leader, or you had to have been a part of some sort of educational process that they at least had respect for. So they had an, expect, an expectation of education. But you'll see in the text here, it says, they realized that these guys were unschooled and ordinary, right? It's funny, these two, there's two Greek words here. They, they sort of are related in, in terms of what they mean, but one of them just means more or less uneducated. The other one is literally the Greek word idiotes. So you can guess where this is going, right? Like, like it literally says, these guys are uneducated idiots. They're just normal people. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating for not being educated, just so you know, like kids stay in school the whole bit, right? Um, and, and, and I'm also, I'm also not saying that we shouldn't study the scriptures and understand, uh, you know, understand the Bible and, and be prepared to do the work of God. But what I am saying is that their lack of a formal education did not stop them from being a part of what God wanted to do in their lives. That's what I am saying. They didn't go to the best schools. They didn't go to seminary, right? They didn't go to Harvard or Yale. They didn't go to any of that. But what was the difference? That they had been with Jesus. That's the difference. The difference is that they had been with Jesus. And so this thing that Jesus is more or less promising them in Matthew chapter 4, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, is now coming to fruition in the book of Acts. And if you haven't read the book of Acts, you should read the book of Acts because it is about this. It's about the disciples now living out this calling in the, that Jesus has given them. But it's, it's this connection point where we see Jesus has made this promise and now we see this promise coming to reality in their lives and their enemies. I mean, these guys are the enemies of the gospel. The, the Jewish leaders are not happy about all this, but even they have no other conclusion to draw except that these guys had been with Christ. Because here's the thing, and I, I, really, I believe this at the bottom of my heart. I believe this with everything I am. If you get close to Jesus, you will not be the same. 
If you get close to Jesus, you cannot stay the same. You are going to experience change, right? Again, we can be in church for for years and years and years. We can do Christianity on, on different levels, but still in all of that, sometimes we don't get close to Jesus. But if you get close to Jesus, if you respond to the call to come be with Him and to follow Him and to learn with him, learn from Him, you will not be the same. So I got I got saved in high school, and uh, just for clarity purpose, I was a train wreck before Jesus. Like I was like I was like a mess um, in a way that I can't even explain. But 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 I was a train wreck before Jesus. I get saved in high school, and I'm being discipled um, by the senior pastor of the church that I got saved at. So First Baptist Church of Martinez on Alhambra Avenue. Here's how you know it: when you're driving to States, it's on your left. All right, there you go. That's how everybody's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so. That's where I got saved. That's where I was discipled. So the senior, I get saved. The senior pastor baptizes me. He says, you want, to be, you want to be discipled? I said, I don't know what that is, but yes, let's do it. And so we're meeting, and, he's, and, and everything that I know foundationally about Scripture and about, about my faith comes from, from that relationship. Um, and he, he, he called me out one day, and he just kind of laid this challenge before me. He said, he said, I guarantee you, if you just take five, ten minutes every morning, be in the word of God and pray. He said, I guarantee you it will change your life. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I like a good guarantee. You know what I mean? I don't mind a good challenge either. So, so I just started doing it. And, and it was funny how I started because I just didn't really know. It's like, where do you start that or whatever? Uh, but I had this car, my first car. It's a 1974 Chevrolet Impala with a 400 small block. You're welcome, car people, right? You're welcome. Um, I love that car. Primer gray, beautiful, right? Not cool, not great. It could have been great. If I had had more money, it would have been great. It wasn't great, but to me, it was great. Um, love that car. So I had this 1974 Chevy Impala. Um, it would literally take me 10 to 15 minutes every morning to warm this car up. I had a three-minute drive to school, right? I could have... I could have walked to school faster than it took me to like warm up the car and I believe that and, and then drive. But you know what? I wouldn't have looked as good. You know what I mean? Wouldn't have looked as good walking to school, but I, I, looked, I looked real good or maybe even just sort of good driving my, my Impala. But here's the thing about the Impala, right? Is it took a long time to warm up, but especially in the wintertime, the windows would completely fog, Right? And so I had my own little like secret place that I could just go into, right? So I would get in the car in the morning, I'd turn it on, engines humming, right? I can't hear anything outside the car, windows are fogged, and I just started opening up the Bible and spending time in prayer. And that's where it all began for me, right there on the front seat of my Impala. So fast forward then, fast forward then like 20 something years. The same pastor who discipled me, he passes away. And his family, and I was honored to do this, his family asked me if I would consider doing the service, the memorial service. So, of course, I said yes, and I do the service, and it's at that little church in Martinez, and, and I'm there. And um, his, he had a son who was a year younger than me than high school. So there was a bunch of guys that were there at the service who I had gone to high school with. And one of them was a guy who was in my grade, a guy named Jake. And I knew Jake in high school. Um, he did not know me after Jesus. He just knew the train, that, train wreck that I was prior to Jesus. And so I always had respect for Jake. He was a believer, and he, um, he just always carried himself in a certain way, and I always had a lot of respect for him. Um, but I see him sort of in the back, and then after the service, Jake and I have an, have an interaction, and he comes up to me, and he's like floored. 
by this whole thing, right? Because all he remembers is 20-something years ago when I was just a complete mess. And he says to me, he says, if you had told me that Ian Longton was going to do the, the memorial service for Jim Anderson, he's like, I would have said you were crazy. And I don't blame him for that. Because the two guys, the guy that he knew then and the guy that showed up on that day were completely different people. Completely different people. And I'd love to take credit for that difference. Like I did go to college. I did grow up and mature a little bit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, I can't take credit for any of it because the difference between high school and that day is that for 20-something years, I had been with yeah. Jesus. You see, God is still calling us to a process of transformation. It doesn't matter how long you've been with Jesus, God still has a plan for your life. There are still things that God wants to do to sanctify you, to make you more like his son. The thing is, though, is, 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 like we know, again, we know Jesus died for us. We know Jesus died for us to go to, go to heaven and be with him in eternity. But I think sometimes we forget this fact that Jesus also died to transform us now. Yeah. We forget this, this, this fact that Jesus also died so that we could live a different life now, so that we could have different hope now, that we could have different joy now, that our character could be transformed, that our purpose could be transformed, that our lives can be renewed, and that something different can happen in this life. Jesus didn't just die for eternity. That's true. He did, but he also died for today. He also died so that we can have something different here on this earth and be a part of his redemptive purposes on this earth. So, so we're called, we're called to a person. We're called to the person of Jesus. We're called to a process, which is the process of transformation. And the last point is this, we are called to a purpose. So Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men, right? Obviously, he's saying this because they're fishermen, right? But he's saying, I will make you fishers of men. There's something, there's something bigger here than what you guys are doing. So I want to zoom out again, right? We're going to zoom out and kind of fast forward again, this time not going quite as far. We're going to go just to the end of Jesus's ministry on earth, right? Before he ascends up into heaven. So we're going to look at the end of the book of Matthew and then a verse from the beginning of the book of Acts. But Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, this is what we call the great commission. This is Jesus giving them the mission of the kingdom of God as he's about to depart. He says this, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations. This is what he was talking about when he said, become fishers of men. This is what he, was, this is what he meant. He didn't give them the whole picture in that moment in Matthew chapter 4, but he's given it to them more now. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then very similarly in Acts chapter 1, again, just before he ascends up, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when he came to them with fishers of men in Matthew 4, what he meant was go make disciples of all nations. What he, what he meant was be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He didn't give them the whole vision at that point, but he's given it to them now. And let's just be honest, 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a fisherman. I mean, I'm sure it's an honest trade, right? Like, you probably smell all the time when you come home, and I'm sure your kids get sick of eating fish every night, but it's probably a great lifestyle to some extent. And, and these guys could have kept doing it. But being a fisher of men is a bigger vision than just being a fisherman, isn't it? Being a fisher of men is a much bigger vision than just being a fisherman. And I always wonder, like, what if they hadn't responded? You know, I mean, it depends on where your, what your theological bend is on, on whether or not you think they could or could not have. But what if they hadn't responded, right? Like, what if they had just sat there and said, you know what, uh, Jesus, I'm busy, and my wife's texting me, and i got to get home. I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know. And, 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 and the, but I'm sure Jesus would have found somebody else to do it, right? Or, or one of the other disciples would have taken the lead role. But, but if, if they don't respond in Matthew chapter 4, we don't see, potentially, we don't see the story take place in Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Acts chapter 4. At least those guys aren't going to be a part of it. Here's my question for you, is what if God's vision for your life is bigger than your vision for your life? What if the vision that God has for you is bigger than the vision that you've had for yourself up until this point? I mean, we come up with all kinds of things that we want to do with life, and don't get me wrong, most of it's fine. I mean, most of it's more or less morally neutral, like it's, it's okay. Um, you know, we, we want to build wealth. That's great. Build wealth. But what if wealth is too small of a vision for your life? Right? Like, like you can get up to heaven and Jesus can say, well, what about all that money that you, that you left behind? Or he could say, what about all those souls that you brought with you? Right? What if wealth is too small a vision? Right? We even talk about retirement, right? Like we want to have a great retirement. We want to be comfy and we want to have all the things, you know, maybe even do it early, maybe even do it in Hawaii or some other type of paradise, right? Like, and don't get me wrong, I want that too, right? Lord, here I am. Send me. I'll go, right? We all want that. But what if just a comfortable retirement is too small of a vision for your life? Right? We just have so many things that we'll put out there and say, this is what I want to do. And some of them are fine. Some of them may even be good. Some of them may even be God's will for you. But a lot of them are going to fall short of the ultimate vision that God has for you. All these worldly goals, they're just too small. What if God's calling you to plant a church? Yikes, right? (laughs) Scary, right? But what if? I mean, there's somebody in this room. I just believe it, not because there's not like any sort of prophetic sense. I just just know because I've read the scriptures and I've been around long enough. Like the Holy Spirit's going to stir in someone. You might be called to be a church planner. What if God's called you to preach the gospel? Right? He has. What if God's called you to lead the worship or if God's called you to, to, to be a pastor or to be a missionary in a foreign land? Like, like, what if God has called you to something great? But here's the thing, all that stuff, that's all the really flashy stuff, right? Like, that's all the stuff you see, like planning a church, that's really, that's a big deal, it's dramatic, right? Like, anybody who goes through that is crazy? Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> brave and faithful, and we're grateful for both of you. But, it, but I guess all that stuff is just really big. Yeah, we can clap, we can clap for our pastors, yeah. All that stuff, though, is just really big. What if God is just calling you to, like, lead that small group? Come on. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Some of you, maybe you've been thinking about that small group. You've been wondering, should I do it? Maybe you've been dragging your feet a little bit. Like, what if God is just calling you to, to lead that small group and to shepherd those people? What if God was just calling you to disciple one person? So good. 
That's not too small of a vision for the kingdom of God, just so you know. I mean, that's part of what's built into the fabric of the vision here at, at Mission Church, right? Like one at a time. Like what if God is just calling you to disciple that one person? What if God's calling you to teach Sunday school or volunteer with youth or just, work, like, just witness to your neighbors? I have no idea, right? It's not for me to decide because this is God's calling for you. But I'm telling you right now that all of these things can have an eternal significance. The thing that God wants to do in you and through you can have an eternal, signific eternal significance. And these things are bigger than the visions that we often lay out for our own lives. The problem is, is we often find ways to disqualify ourselves, right? You know that. You do it. I've done it. We've all done it. You know, we talk about different things. Well, eh, maybe not me. I mean, why would it be me? It couldn't be me. You know, some people talk about age, like, oh, I'm too old. I've heard people say that. I'm too old. Abraham was 100. Sorry, checkmate. That, that argument ended, right? You can't be too old. Um, oh, well, what if I'm too young? Well, the Virgin Mary, she was a, just a teenage girl, right? That one's washed away too, right? There's no, age is not a factor for the, the God of the universe. Does that make sense? Like the age is not a factor for the, the sovereign king of all creation to be able to use your life, okay? Sometimes we look at it and we say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't go to seminary. I've heard that one. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't have any formal training. I didn't go to Bible college or anything like that. Well, we've already read about the unschooled idiots, James, or, uh, John and Peter, right? Like, like, don't get me wrong. God wants you to be educated in the scriptures, but just because you aren't right now does not preclude you from being what God wants you to be, from doing what God wants you to do. The one that I, that I think I see or hear the most, the one that I think kind of haunts us sometimes is we think we're disqualified because of our past. We think we're disqualified because of our past. And, and I just want to take this moment to remind us is that, that your past is not what's disqualified, is not keeping you from what God has for you in the future, right? Jesus died to redeem you from that past to give you a hope and a future, right? So don't keep putting the past at the foot of the cross and saying, God, I can't do it because of this. Because right. Jesus is saying, hey, I washed that away, right? It's not about what you have done. It's about what Jesus has already done on the cross. Right. And all of that is not the issue. And the reality is, is if I told you some of the stories of the things that I did prior to high school, you would say straight up, you are not qualified to preach the gospel. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you those stories, although you're dying to know. I know you are. You're dying to know. But you ain't going to get to hear them today. But you would say, you're not qualified to preach the gospel. But that's my point. I'm not, right. and neither are you. It's never been about you. It's never been about your qualifications. It's never been about your age or your education or your past or any of that. It's always been about what he is gonna do. It's always been about him. It's always been about what he promised. Jesus made us a promise. It's not a, it's not a suggestion. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's not, a, he didn't say like, well, maybe, you know, we'll think about it. We'll just see. Maybe if you pass the test, if you answer all the questions right, then we'll talk about it, right? Like, he didn't say like, oh, it just depends on how I feel or about how you feel or any of that stuff. He said, if you come and come be with me and come be just behind me, if you learn from me, if you follow me, I will do something great in your life. I will do something in your life that has a significance both for this world and for eternity. And so the question really comes down to this. The question is this, will we trust Jesus? That's it, will you trust Jesus? Will you trust him enough to respond to his, his invitation to follow him? 
I mean, I think about those guys, right? I think about these guys in this boat, and they're, they're in the boat, they're doing their thing, and, and it's an inconvenient thing for some guy to just walk up and say, hey, can you drop all your work and come hang out with me? I mean, I'd say no, you know what I mean? Like, sorry, I'm busy, right? I mean, and I just think about what kind of trust would it have taken for them to say, okay, I'm gonna put that down, Jesus, and I'm gonna go with you. Do we trust Jesus enough to come to him? Do we trust Jesus enough to let him change us? Do we trust Jesus enough to let him transform our lives? Do we trust him with what that life will look like in the future? And then do we trust him that he can use us? Do we trust him that he can actually use our lives no matter what our past or our age or what? No, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are of any kind. You can lay out all kinds of circumstances before Jesus and say, here's Jesus. This is the reason why I can't serve you. And he's going to say, that's nonsense. I've saved you. I've called you. I've given you my Holy Spirit. Let's go, right? He's just going to wash all that away because it's time. Can we trust Jesus with all that? So um, back to my fishing trip in Alaska in 2012. Um, it was seriously the greatest fishing experience of my life. Not, jo- not joking. Um, I've had some pretty good fishing experiences since, no joke, but, but this is the greatest ex- fishing experience of my life. To this day, it's the biggest fish I've ever caught. I want to say it was 33 pounds. It was something. It was big. Um, beautiful. King salmon. Um, and probably the most fish I've ever caught. I mean, it was ridiculous how much fish we were catching. Just obscene, really. I mean, it was just crazy. Like, you go out for a day to go fishing and you get skunked, you get nothing. We caught hundreds of fish. What? Hundreds. It was, it's actually a little bit embarrassing to say, but there was actually a moment. It's not very manly or cool. It's a little bit weird to say to the fishing guide, my arms are tired from reeling in fish, right? It's a little bit goofy, but I'll, I'll confess that it happened. Like, we were like, oh my gosh. Like, you're just, you're, you're just catching too many fish. And at one point, we even had what we call the quadruple hookup, where like, I caught a fish, and then my brother-in-law caught a fish, and then while he was reeling in his fish, I got my fish in, got it off, rebated the hook, got that one back out, and then while I was doing that, he did the same thing. We had four fishes like just consistently. It was just insane. It was like the Super Bowl of Christmas morning fishing experiences. Like it was just nuts, right? It was nuts. So when we got there, right, we get there and, um, you know, I didn't really know what to expect, but we were going to be paired with this fishing guide. So we get there and we get paired with this guy. His name is Justin. Um, I didn't know him from, you know, anybody else. Seemed like a nice guy. He's about my age, but we didn't really know what to expect. Um, But we come to find out over the time that we're fishing, over throughout the week, that I don't know if you've ever seen this or heard about this, but he's just one of those like oddly mythical and legendary fishermen who just sort of thinks like the fish and knows what the fish are going to do. He just is, he's just so, he was so in tune with it, right? He just knew everything. Um, He would be, we'd be fishing like one spot and we'd be slaying it in one spot. And he would just sort of be like, okay, you know, all right, all right, we're good. We're gonna go back up here. And we'd go up a mile upstream or whatever, up the river, and we'd slay it over there too. Like he just knew, right? He just knew. We came to find out through the week. I mean, everybody had this like reverence. Actually, that's funny. Everybody had this real respect for him. One guy even called him the reverend. They were like, oh, you're fishing with Justin? And I was like, yeah, he's like the reverend. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy, right? This guy, Justin, um, you can actually Google him. Like, you can, His name's Justin Crump. Google Justin Crump Fisherman, his wife and him. Now, um, I think they own two fishing lodges, one in Alaska and one in Oregon. But this is just his life. When we met him, he was spending his whole year doing nothing but fishing. 
he would guide three different seasons. He would guide one season in Alaska, one season in Oregon, and then one season in Mexico. But the crazy part was in the off season, the, the months between, he would fly down to Central America and then charter helicopters to take him into these remote places, like these remote mountains of like Patagonia and whatnot. And then he would just spend weeks on end by himself trying to fly fish these random places. And I would, my first response was like, you know what? How come my guidance counselor didn't tell me that this was an option, right? Like, like this guy seems to be living some sort of like 10 year old boy's fantasy. Nobody even told me that I could do this. I don't know that I would have said yes, but I would have at least liked the opportunity to consider it. You know what I mean? Um, but he was doing it. He was just living this dream. And he was just this fantastic fisherman. And, and here's, this is a really extreme, or I won't say extreme, but it's a really good example of, of something that I learned over time, because here's the deal. I'm not really that great of a fisherman. Like if you wanted to go fishing, you wouldn't come to me. But what I've learned is, is that I can go fishing with good fishermen. What I've learned is, is it's not necessarily about me, it's about who you go with, if that makes sense. Check this out. I, didn't, I wasn't planning on this when I first started preparing for this message, but as I studied these texts, I kind of I stumbled upon this. So we can pull up the last slide here. All four of these texts that we read this morning have a similar theme. So in Matthew chapter four, verse 19, Jesus says, come follow me. In Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission, he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then in Acts 4.13, as we already saw, the difference is, that they were astonished because they took note that these guys had been with Jesus. What's the theme through all four of those? It's the presence of God in the lives of these disciples. It's the fact that God is with them in the midst of this thing. Because here's the thing, if, if the idea of fishing for men overwhelms you, which by the way, it should, Right? If it, if, it, if it scares you just a little bit, which it's okay, it should scare you just a little bit. If it makes you just a little bit uncomfortable, this idea that Jesus is gonna transform your life and then use you for his redemptive purposes, yeah, that should make you maybe just think a little bit about that. But here's the thing, it's not about you. It's about who you go with. And what Jesus is saying here is that he's promised to be with us through all of it, which just kind of gets us back to the beginning. It just gets us back to the beginning, which is what? Jesus says, come, follow me. We're called to be with him. I'd like to invite you to, to lower your heads and, and close your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you came here not really sure who Jesus was, or, or maybe you've been thinking about Jesus and you weren't really sure where you stood in relationship to him, or you didn't know what you wanted from him, or if you wanted to be around him. But as you've considered who Jesus is, maybe you've also considered the broken and bankrupt promises of this world. Maybe you've looked at your life and you've realized that there's an emptiness out there. And maybe you're ready for the first time to come to Jesus. Maybe you're ready for the first time to receive what Christ has for you. And so if that's you this morning, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, to follow Jesus for the first time, I'd like to invite you to just raise your hand. Just go ahead and raise your hand. I see those hands. That's awesome. Anybody else? Just go ahead and raise your hand. God's proud of you. God's excited for you. God has a plan for you. Thank you. 
Maybe this morning you've been in church for a while. Maybe you've been around a little bit. And maybe somehow in the process of Christianity and doing life and just being busy, maybe you've wandered a little bit from Jesus. Maybe you found yourself just kind of wandering off and doing your own thing. And maybe this morning you would like to just say, hey, I want to come back to Jesus. I just want to come back to him and just be back with him. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand so we know who we're praying for. I see those hands. We see those hands. We thank God for that. Thank God for your honesty. Father, we're grateful. Jesus, we're grateful because you've done it all. You paid the price for us. You've called us into your presence. You have made promises to us. And even in this moment now, God, whether we have never been with you or whether we have wandered away from you, God, in your mercy, you have allowed us back into you. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for all the gifts that you give us. Thank you for these here. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.